Turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 10. We continue our study in the life and story of David. And chapter 10 is the narrator's connection to the close of one phase in David's leadership. It started really in chapter 3 when he was anointed king over Hebron and united the kingdom uh, shortly thereafter, established Jerusalem as a city built on friendship, and David began to lead from Jerusalem. It's been 13 years under David's lead, and chapters 8 and 10 really are the historical narrative of David's military leadership and Israel's interface with their enemies. And we're told in chapter 8 that the Lord gave David victory everywhere that he went. So we see these conquests because David is living and leading in covenant. I want to talk to you this morning about covenant friendship as a rule of life, the idea of living in covenant and what does that mean. We'll also see in the text that we have to deal with our enemies that reject God's rule of life and living under his authority. But we'll also talk about what does that rule of life mean for us. And you'll see the connection between the covenant that Jonathan made with David as he is now extending that covenant because he believes that's the covenant of leadership that God would call him to lead in. 2 Samuel chapter 10. After this, the king of the Ammonites died in Hanun, his son reigned in his place. And David said, I will deal loyally. That's that word said or covenant. I will deal loyally with Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father has dealt loyally or lived in covenant with me. So David sent by his servants to console him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the Ammonites but the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanan, their Lord, do you think because David has sent comforters to you that he is honoring your father? Has not David sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out and to overthrow it? So Hanan took David's servants and shaved off half the beard of each and cut off their garments in the middle at their hips and sent them away. When it was told David, he sent to meet them for the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Remain in Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. Verses 6 through 8 record how the Ammonites create alliances in order to come together against the people of God, much like what we read in Psalm chapter 2. And then Joab organizes his men, and that's in verse 9. When Joab saw that the battle was set against him, both in front and in the rear, he chose some of the best men of Israel and arrayed them against the Syrians. The rest of his men he put in the charge of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the Ammonites. And he said, If the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the Ammonites are too strong for you, then I will come and I will help you. Be of good courage and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God and 
May the Lord do what seems good to him. So Joab and the people were with him, and they drew near to the battle against the Syrians, and they fled before them. And when the Ammonites saw that the Syrians fled, they likewise fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the Ammonites and came to Jerusalem. Verses 15 through 19 speak of the Syrians organizing and David taking an army out against the Syrians. And we see that David leads the troops and leads them to protection. The conclusion there in verse 19. So the Syrians were defeated. They became subject to Israel and were afraid to save the Ammonites anymore. This is the word of God. Thanks be to thee, O God. Let's pray together. Lord, will you teach us from your word what it is that we should know about your great salvation and how it should inform how we live. We desire to live in covenant, and we pray that you teach us today what it means to live in covenant rule as the rule of our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This word, said is used over 250 times in the Old Testament. It's really describing God's heart in action. And in Exodus 34, Moses asked God, what is your name? And he said, I am Yahweh, I am that I am. But he says, I am slow to anger and steadfast in loyal love. It's the word said. It's kindness, but it's also righteousness. I think of hesed as two sides of the same coin. And it's why we have hope today that we can live in a city of friendship. You know, the church is to be a city built on friendship. Augustine said that in his book, The City of God, probably considered the greatest literary work that's guided Western civilization. And Augustine said that we all live in the city of man and the city of God, but believers are to take the love of friendship and begin to change the city of man and to live in the city of man together with others that hold that same covenant because the city of man is filled with greed and the love of self. This word has said is a powerful word. It tells us that God will offer favor to those who are undeserving. It tells us that it's definitive, that when God makes a contract, when he sets his love on someone, it's forever. It's never to be negotiated or renegotiated. It's sacrificial. It brings us sustaining power even when we feel weak. And it's provisional. It'll bring to us what we need when we need it. It's a contractual friendship. It's based on kindness and righteousness. It's an amazing thing to think that you're in a contract with Jesus because Jesus is in a contract with God. Jesus has covenanted with the Father. He will go and win friends for the Father. And then he will show kindness to those friends. And he will bring righteousness to bear, to make their lives right, to sanctify them so that they can live 
in covenant relationship. That's the city of friendship. That's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're called to live in covenant. What does it mean to make covenant friendship your rule of life? Well, we see here that it's linked to David's kindness and it's linked to David's righteousness. Now, the writer here is not just giving us military battles to let us know about Israel's relationship with their neighbors as well as with their enemies. They were always fighting those on the outside to secure the land that God had given them. But here David says, I want to show loyalty to the son of Nahash for the loyalty that Nahash has shown to me. In 1 Samuel 11 and 12, we read of Nahash, who's a very cruel leader, and he sought to dominate Israel. He sent soldiers back, not with half their beard cut, but with their right eye gouged out with the threat that he would kill all of Israel if they did not serve him in a dominant contract. This is when the Israelites asked Samuel, we need a king, and Saul was raised up in order to protect them from the cruel contracts that were expected in the alliances. Now this text tells us that David and Nahash had been in some type of contractual relationship, a hesed relationship, probably when David was on the run as a refugee, probably when he was making alliances and building alliances with the Philistines outside of Israel on the run from Saul. But David remembers that he will extend kindness because kindness was extended. He's going to lead in this same hesed, this covenant relationship. We'd read that in chapter 9 when he asked the question, is there anyone in Israel that I can show kindness to? Hesed, covenantal contractual friendship for the sake of Jonathan. You recall that in chapters 18 through 20 of 1 Samuel, Jonathan, the son of the king, takes off his robe and his sword and he places it at David's feet and he says, I will serve under you. I will subject myself in loyalty to you in friendship. And they covenant a friendship together. Now David wants to bless the house of Jonathan for the uh, the house of Saul for the sake of Jonathan, and he wants to lead. He sees that his call, like Abraham's been told, is to extend blessing even to our enemies. And so the text here is telling us there's a link, and David is the link to the king of kindness and righteousness. This is where Psalm 2 begins to come into play, as we read the psalm earlier in the service, all the kings of the earth stand and make alliances against the Lord and against his Christ. And God extends kindness and righteousness by sending his son to fulfill a contract that God made between the father and the son to save a people for himself, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is linked to David, but... We also see David's limits. The narrator is preparing us for what's to come. You know chapter 11, where David 
will break covenant. Well, David will act unkindly and unrighteously by taking another man's wife, Bathsheba. Well, David will betray his own soldier, Uriah. He will have him murdered. He will cover up the murder for over a year. And God will send Nathan to David. We're going to see the compromise of the covenant and the consequences that are to come, both in David's family and in the kingdom. David is a great and kind and righteous leader, but David is a sinner. And it's going to take someone greater than David to fulfill this covenant. And that's why when we study Samuel or we read the Old Testament, it's always pointing us to the son that Psalm 2 speaks of. It's that eternal son, Jesus Christ, who will come in kindness and in righteousness because we are limited. Covenant friendship as a rule of life requires a savior who can keep covenant. But we're also taught in this passage that how are we to deal with those who reject God's rule? You can see in Joab's discussion with ordering the troops, several principles that are helpful to know. How do you act in kindness even when you don't have control over your circumstances? We'll also see David acting in kindness to those emissaries that he sent. Then lastly, I'll just talk briefly about how do we live as a, a rule of life? How do we live in covenant with one another? First, Joab. You notice that Joab had led David's elite fighting force. He had done some evil things, and he was a sinner, but yet he understood this hesed, this rule of life. All of David's mighty men had learned this as David brought them in made covenant with them, spread his kindness over them, and provided direction and righteousness. In verse 11, Joab says that we can live loyally in commitment to one another. We can fight together. We must not let the enemy divide us. That's the first place that the enemy will come for when he wants to divide the church or the family. He wants to separate us from protecting one another, from being loyal to one another. And Joab says that they will divide us, but I will come for you. And when I'm in need, you commit that you will come for me. He also says that we can be courageous. We can be full-hearted, even though we don't know the result of the battle. How can we be courageous? How can we be full-hearted? Well, verse 12 says that May God do what seems good to him. Joab is saying someone has made a covenant who can keep his promises. And God is one who can be trusted. Do you find yourself at a time in your life where you can't control your circumstances, you don't know your future, and you wonder often, how am I going to get out of this mess? Or how am I going to protect my child from that mess? We're going to find ourselves where Joab found himself asking, where do you find confidence? Where do you gain courage? It's in this reality. He knew that God 
was the God of Hesed, the covenant-keeping God, and he cloaks us with his kindness. He protects us with his righteousness, and he says God will do what seems good to him. We're always called in this covenant to trust God, to trust him that he knows best, to trust him that his timing is best, to trust him that we can hold on. I was thinking about the last several weeks I've met with family after family who are facing very heartbreaking difficulties. And as we prayed together and cried together, they're living in so much uncertainty. If you belong to Jesus, you can trust that he will do what is good for you, that his kindness will carry you even in your despair, even in your sadness, because Jesus keeps kindness. That's the lesson we learn from Joab. But also David here, two ways that he keeps kindness. He covers the shame of his emissaries. He tells them to go to Jericho. I assume that they shaved the beard down the middle, and it was a disgrace for men uh, to have their beard removed. But he let them stay until their beard had grown. He covered their shame. But he also leads the troops against the Syrians. He steps up, puts his own life on the line, and tells them, I will keep contract, and we will not let the Syrians and the Ammonites divide us. I will fight from the rear. From the rear. We see this all through the life of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus came to this earth to keep contract with God. You recall that when he was 12 years old, he was in the temple. His parents couldn't find him, and they said, where have you been? Why have you bothered us so much? And he said, do you not know? I must keep contract. I must be about my father's business. I must advance the contract that I made with my father. And you recall that when Jesus explained to his disciples who he was, he said, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd that keeps contract, that lays down his life for the, for the sheep. He says, no greater love is there than this, that one lays down his life for his friends, that he keeps contract. Jesus kept contract in Gethsemane. He kept contract before Pilate. He kept contract before Herod. When he instituted the Lord's Supper, he gave us a meal and he reminded us, I am the God who keeps contract. I will be faithful to you. I will extend my kindness. I will exchange my righteousness for your unrighteousness. And you should, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What are we proclaiming? That we serve a God who keeps contract. Your heavenly Father will save you. Your heavenly Father will sanctify you. He will keep contract. That's why All Saints Day is a day of celebration. Death for the Christian is not our enemy. It's our friend as we celebrate that Jesus has defeated death 
and has destroyed our last enemy, he keeps contract. So what about you? Are you living in this rule of life? What about your experience of trusting God? What about your commitment to the covenant family? We're to live in hesed love. We're to live in kindness and in righteousness. And though our anxiety and our anger and our alienation causes us to doubt, this text reminds us we've been given the gift. We're members of the household of faith. We're a part of a family with a God who keeps contract. No matter what you're facing, when he causes you to trust him, that's the place where he wants you to meet him and to celebrate his faithfulness. Last week I was <clears throat> at the Care Pregnancy Center banquet. They have an annual banquet every year. And I was struck by Susan Swanson. She's the director of the Care Pregnancy Center. I was struck because for 30 years, here's a woman who's living to keep contract with mothers that, young mothers that have families that give very little help to them, mothers that are afraid for the health of these unborn children, but they want to bring these children into the world. She keeps contract by providing money for their rent, food and clothing, teaching them the Bible. And then I heard Dr. Ben Carson give a testimony. You know Ben Carson as famous pediatric neurosurgeon, known for other influential roles that he's held in our country. But he talked about his mother. He was so inspiring when he talked about how his mother was his hero. She was abandoned, had to raise two boys on her own, but she kept contract. She put the TV up in the closet. Sounds like a cruel thing, doesn't it, parents? And she said, until you're making A's, we're not going to watch the TV anymore. He said, it was the kindest thing she ever did to me. She taught me that reading was important. And she taught me that learning more than just watching could be transformative. It's so amazing to think that kindness and righteousness are two sides of the same coin. Parents, we're called to keep contract. Church, we're called to keep contract. It's to live in undeniable hope. It's to live with unending welcome, but to show we're part of a family. You know, tonight we'll have 40 new members. They're going to take vows. Why do we take vows? Because we live in contract. We seal it with a promise because God lives in contract with us and he seals it with a promise. Mothers never stop fighting for the kindness and righteousness that your children need. Fathers never stop fighting for the kindness and the righteousness that your wife needs. You who feel abandoned and feel alone, find in this body the kindness and the righteousness that you need. This is to be a city built on friendship. You know, Augustine said, the city of God 
is built on the love of friendship. Augustine grew up in a home where his mother was a believer and his father was a pagan. His father wanted him to have an influential career. His father trained him in all the languages and the classics, and he began to be a professor in Carthage. He was a professor for the emperor's children. His mother mourned for him. He was a sex addict. He was living a life of debauchery, and he was full of pride. But Monica prayed for him, and Monica visited him when he was in Carthage. Later, when he was in Milan, she kept on praying. She was in contract with Augustine. She kept on encouraging him to go to church. In Milan, she invited him to hear Ambrose, the bishop of Milan. There, he heard the gospel. He heard the powerful orator speak of the powerful beauty of contractual kindness and righteousness, and his heart was drawn. And over time, Augustine, the world's greatest gift to Western civilization, was touched by eternal kindness and righteousness and turned Oh, for a mother like Monica that wouldn't stop praying. Oh, for a mother like Monica that would not stop visiting. Undeniable hope, unending welcome. Church, do you not realize that this covenant tells us, and we're going to see next week, even in your worst moments, God's going to come to you. Forgiveness is still available. Shame can be covered. And though the consequences may follow you, at the end of David's life, he said, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, because God keeps his contract. He signs it with his blood. He will have the last word. What did Joab say? Joab said, let us be courageous for the people of God and for our cities and let us trust that the Lord will do what seems good to him. He keeps his covenant. He keeps contract. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, that you extend kindness to the undeserving. Thank you, Jesus, that you exchange righteous to the unrighteous. Lord, may we live in this confidence, but we desire to live covenant as a rule of life. Lord, places where we have drifted, where we are isolated, would you bring us back to deeper fellowship? Places where we've lost hope, where we are full of doubt or anxiety, would you give us trust and if there's anyone here that has not been touched by your kindness and your righteousness, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.